Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. This is Tilly Money. Our guest today is Nikki Ford, CEO of Australian Organic Limited. Australian Organic is the leading peak industry body lobbying government and industry to promote the commercial and social interests of those who are certified organic. Nikki is the founder of Naturalist Advisory and is an ACCC Agricultural Consultative Committee member. In 2020, Nikki was selected from more than 80 applicants for the National Farmers Federation Diversity in Agricultural Leadership Program. And this year, she returned to the program as a mentor. Part of the NFF's 2030 roadmap is to double the number of women in leadership positions. Nikki has been awarded a scholarship and forms part of the Australian Rural Leadership Program Cohort 28. Nikki, welcome to the Tilly Money Podcast. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. And I see you with a wonderful picture behind you of a gorgeous horse in a very rural setting. So I feel like when we're talking organic, it kind of sets the mood in many ways because it does look very natural. And you, you're the founder of Naturalist Advisory. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so the picture behind me is actually a horse in an organic farm uh, that we visited uh, early this year, actually, uh, when we first got to travel again in Batlow down in New South Wales. Uh, it was beautiful. And, um, yeah, so we're very fortunate to be able to take a photo. And uh, I love uh, seeing uh, agricultural animals throughout our entire office, all uh, organic, of course. Mm. So, um, yes, I am the founder of Naturalist Advisory. I started that business about four years ago uh, when I left a couple of leadership roles within the organic and natural uh, space and realised during my time at those organisations that there was a real lack of time for most of the operators who had organic or natural products on the market because they were owner-operators. And using my background uh, in my professional space that I'd learned in the alcohol industry, working for some of the largest brands around the world, um, I really wanted to help uh, that space because I'm very passionate about organic myself. So that's where Naturalis came from. And, um, and now I work as the CEO of Australian Organic Limited. And uh, next month will be uh, three years since I took on that role. Really? Tell me a bit more about Australian Organic Limited. Who owns that? Um, yeah, fill us, fill us in more. Yeah, so Australian Organic Limited began uh, next year, will be 35 years ago, and it began with seven farming families from all around Australia who wanted to create a business uh, that provided credibility around organic um, production. So initially it was called Biolog Biological Farmers of Australia, mm -hmm. and so BFA it was shortened to. And um, so over the many years that followed, the client base for the products that wanted to be certified organic grew. And so in 2012, the business actually changed its name to Australian Organic Limited so it could be more reflective of the client base it had. So under organic certification, you can certify from livestock to horticulture through the grain, cosmetics, uh, sanitary items, all you, all you can think of that's consumable can be certified under the Australian Organic Standard. 
Mm. And um, that's the reason for the name change. Mm. Uh, a bit over well, three, nearly three and a half years ago, the organisation went through another change where we actually demerged from our subsidiary, the certification body. Um, so those who go out and audit and accredit uh, mm. so that we could step forward as the peak body. And so that's my time in the business has been in that capacity. I, we don't have anything to do with the day-to-day -day, uh, auditing. Uh, ours is all around the advocacy on behalf of the industry. Okay. So it was started by seven farming families or you know, seven fa farming you know, businesses. And is it still in that, their hands? It's in the member hands. So if you become a member of Australian okay. Organic, you become a shareholder. So I'm okay. a member. I've been a mm. member of Australian Organic, I don't know how many years, for many years. Uh, and so I guess to me, that's what makes my job even more rich is um, I believe in organic lifestyle. I live um, predominantly organic myself from makeup uh, to shampoo all the way through to food uh, and, and products I put on my skin. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a passion uh, for me uh, as well as also a profession. And when did that start? Has it been, were you brought up on a farm, Nikki, or just something from, you know, I won't say the cradle, but, you know, something from your teenage years that you get? Tell us, tell us more about that. Uh, I wasn't brought up on a farm, but I did grow up on the outskirts of suburban Toowoomba. Uh, so we, our, our house opened up onto farmland, essentially. Mm. Uh, so I always had a real keen interest in agriculture. Uh, I didn't study it, um, but I actually started, uh, my first job out of school was chefing, actually. So for me, I've always mm. been really interested about food uh, and what you consume. Mm. Uh, and, and so uh, I really didn't work in, uh, you know, start off in an organic space, but I really feel like I've come full circle back to where I am now. One of the mm. biggest reasons, though, for me uh, to have a passion about organic is that I actually got quite unwell when I was 20. Um, mm. I had about nine months off work. Mm. And um, after nine months of being passed to medical professional after medical professional, uh, I was finally labelled with uh, an illness, um, which they didn't know how to manage, which at the time, uh, you know, it's, it's around now, fibromyalgia but no one really knew what it was back then. So at the age of 21, after nine months of being off work, I was pretty much given a pat on the back and, and provided the opportunity to live on painkillers for the rest of my life. Mm. And so at the age of 21, that wasn't acceptable to me. No. Uh, and mm. so I started the path of looking at alternative medicine. Mm. And so study, uh, so, you know, seeing a, um, a naturopath or osteopath for many years, uh, I realised, the very beginning, I had a poor diet. I wasn't exercising, and so I started walking one block, and uh, and then I would you know, come home and fall asleep and be in a lot of pain. And but then I kept persisting at it, and so I'd walk two blocks, and then three mm. blocks, and then I got a pair of running shoes, and then you know, along with all of that, um, came the healthy diet um, and the general curiosity of how can I rebuild myself. Uh, after there was no pathway through the medical space to be able to help me. And so I guess that's where my um, passion comes from to live uh, naturally in the first instance. And then about a decade after that, I actually started studying nutritional medicine at one of the um, uh, natural colleges here in Brisbane and started learning more about what I was putting in my body and why um, you know, I wanted to choose things with less additives and less chemicals. Mm. And that's where like I found my passion for organic. Yeah, you look like you're glowing with health now. So something's <laughs> working. 
<laughs> well, thank you. It's, um, I'm a, just, I turned 40 last year, so um, I feel like I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been now uh, in my life. But, um, and you put that all down to diet and exercise and lifestyle and... Yeah, look, it's a combination, you know. Um, the most important thing in my life, um, in my view, is health and everything else comes from that. Um, you know, if you don't have a healthy self then you'll be challenged to achieve anything, whether it's financial happiness. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, I guess that's probably one of the, the biggest um, positives out of becoming unwell very early uh, was that you, you have a bit of a reality check around what's important to you. Mm, without a doubt. Nikki, in terms of women, I read in the introduction about the representation of women and you... Um, have been awarded a scholarship, you know, in the Australian Rural Leadership Program. I guess when we think of farming, we probably straight away think males. I know that's not the necessarily the real story because I've got a, you know, family farming background myself and I know how hard the women on the farm, you know, do work. But tell me about the representation of women and what's happening there in the areas that you're in. Look, I think um, programs like the NFS Diversity and Leadership Program really demonstrate um, or allow the opportunity for women. And I don't think it's stepping forward. And I think this is where I, I think it's really important to be clear because I think women step forward, you know, um, uh, sorry, step up. They step up all the time doing their jobs. But I think it's about opening up pathways for them to step forward. And so programs like this really provide you a whole host of opportunities. One, um, it helps you promote, I guess, you, yourself and your ability to, to demonstrate or at least flag that you have a level of interest in leadership roles. Uh, but one of the most um, important pieces for me, and especially even coming back this year as a mentor to the program, women aren't um, probably as um, uh, close to networking, I think, as what men are, uh, especially as you grow older and you have children and you're balancing a professional and a personal space. Having that ability to network and make connections with other women or other, other men um, who can help you uh, drive towards those leadership goals is, in, in fact, I think the biggest challenge. So programs like this, um, help you to start growing those networks. You know, I made some great friends who were part of the program last year. You know, my mentor, uh, I still talk with her on a regular basis. And then this year um, with my, my, uh, my, my mentor, mentee, she and I plan to continue to catch up every month still. Uh, and she's obviously got the opportunity to, um, you know, call me whenever she likes. But having that network is what I think makes more women feel like they can step forward for these mm. um, uh, opportunities and also know that they have someone they can talk to as well. Mm. So again, often sometimes your friendship network isn't similar to your professional network. So mm. being able to connect with like-minded people who are driven by like-minded outcomes, um, that networking is such an important part. Now, I know the um, opportunities for women in leadership roles are definitely growing. Certainly this, the NFS program is one of those ones um, that's helping um, open up the door to more women to become leaders, whether it's you know, senior management or CEOs or, or even getting positions on board. Um, so I think um, those growth opportunities are there at the moment. It's around empowering women to be able to do that. And one of the biggest challenges in my view to do that is affordable access to childcare. 
I know mm. having a five-year-old daughter of my own, uh, she's going into prep next year. It's expensive. Um, you know, I think there needs to be greater focus on having uh, childcare um, more affordable. So women, not always, but generally women are the ones that are at home looking after the children, um, have the ability to take back positions, whether it's a leadership role when they go back to work, knowing that they have the accessibility of someone who can care for their children. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, we face as we want to grow. You know, having paternity leave as an option within an organisation, uh, you know, that's one of the other challenges. We have uh, a focus on um, just providing it to women when, you know, some men really would love to have that opportunity to be mm. home with their children. And I think it, it's a partnership. And certainly I've seen my leadership journey um, develop um, with having a solid partnership with um, uh, my fiancé at home with our, our daughter and, and our stepson, my stepson, uh, because it's, it's a joint effort uh, as a partnership when you're in a family. It's not about someone doing more of one thing than another. It's about being equal. Mm, yeah, without a doubt. Talk, talk us through the idea of mentoring. You know, what, why is it important? What is it? You know, what's the role of the mentor? And then what's the role of the person being mentored or the mentee? I think they're very reciprocal roles. Uh, I, uh, I've gotten very different things out of the program this year um, that we're doing um, versus last year. Um, however, that ability to interact and um, think um, and challenge and um, request and be curious I think it's such a great interpersonal role so when you've got a mentor and a mentee. And so I think a mentor really is about sharing of knowledge, learnt knowledge and wisdom. It's not about teaching. Uh, I think it's about having the opportunity to connect and listen um, and not always provide the solution, but help that person be able to um, challenge themselves to potentially come up with a solution, ask the question. Um, often we're in a downward um, uh, leadership environment where those of others tell us what to do so in my view leadership is actually about encouraging those to come to the table with ideas so that they can succeed as much as everyone else around them it's not a downward flow it's, it's such an even um, dialogue when you think of mentors and mentees mm. and and as a mentee I think it's when if you if you get the opportunity if you're in a program or you have someone you're working with um, being curious is such a, uh, a big part of that, asking mm -hmm. a lot of questions uh, because often, um, you know, as someone who's working with you may not know a lot about where, you, where you're coming from, maybe your, you know, your journey as a person as well as also your journey in a professional space. So I think it, it goes both ways. Again, it's a partnership um, and it's an interactive dialogue. Mm, it's very true. When you talk about empowerment, you know, if, if a young woman came to you or not even necessarily a young woman, but anyone who wanted to go to another level, you know, wanted to either that through a, you know, a senior role or just even really wanted to get back into the work, workforce full time, but they had a lot of things because it's not just children. It's sometimes it can be caring for elderly parents or relatives. There are a number of things that have historically fallen, you know, on the lap of a female, not always, as you said, but quite often. What kind of things would you say to them, Nikki? Well, I think it's about um, being honest about your ability um, and, and what you want and what your needs are. Um, you know, I think, 
becoming a mother myself has certainly helped me be more flexible and understanding of others who have dependents, whether it's children, elderly people. You know, so being really honest with um, your employer or your employee or the environment around what you can deliver on um, is it, such a, a big part of the discussion when coming to work or back to work. Um, I went to that back to work very early when I had my daughter. Um, I actually fell pregnant the same month I accepted senior leadership role. So I, I held mm. a lot of guilt about not delivering on my professional, um, uh, you know, what I committed to professionally. And so I, I made some really, really stressful decisions on myself when I was trying to manage it all, trying to come back to work mm. while still trying to enjoy the pleasures of motherhood. And uh, not that I regret it, it certainly made me who I am today, but I would do it very differently um, should I ever have another child um, not that I plan on it, but um, you know, it's. I think when you work uh, and you want to be able to come back to work, having that open and honest dialogue about what you can and you can't do um, will help evolve, um, you know, that relationship. And as an employer or a boss or a manager, being open to what that flexibility looks like. You know, we've just come through nearly two years of working from home with mm. COVID. I think now's the greatest. Uh, you know, this is the greatest example of what people can do working from remote environments, um, mm. how they can multitask. Um, but then also, you know, making it, it an option for people to you know, go and do the things with their kids they need uh, or go and do the care that you need to do for an elderly parent and then go back on, on an after hours environment. It's, mm. You know, we need to be flexible and I think you'll get great um, output uh, and respect from working environments when you demonstrate flexibility. Mm. Would, your story, would your advice be different to a woman who came and said to you, look, I don't have children or, you know, my children are grown, you know, they're not on my hands, but I still feel like I'm not really getting anywhere. I'm being overlooked, you know, in leadership positions. What kind of things would you say in that situation? I don't think the advice would be different. Um, mm. I think it would depend on that person and what they were wanting to get out of the opportunity at the time and each one would be unique to the role obviously um, you know it would be difficult to be for instance a leader in a business if your team are all located in one space and you wanted to work from home full-time um, you know that would be a challenge because you wouldn't be creating that cultural discussion mm. um, on a day-to-day -day basis um, so I think it, you know it, it would be um, but it can be done in that respect. I've managed teams from all, all parts of the, Australia with, you know, living in one location. So mm. I think it just comes down to each of the environments and how you want to have that discussion. But I think it starts with open communication mm. uh, around your needs and wants mm. um, and also uh, and being open to one another around what that can and can't look like. Mm -hmm. Very true. Tell us, let's dig a little bit more into something that I'm interested in, um, you know, the growth of the organic um, products industry. So, you know, we can't avoid seeing, you know, certified organic on so many labels these days. What's the penetration of the market like in terms of organic products? Well, look, it grows every year. Uh, we just recently put out our market report earlier this year uh, and we reset the methodology. So I don't have a specific number for you. Um, our next one, which will be end of next year, will give you those data sets more clearly. Uh, mm -hmm. It is at this stage uh, estimated to be around um, you know, $2.5 billion or just under um, turnover. 
mm. within the Australian marketplace. Some of the challenges, as you would know, with COVID over the last couple of years, uh, export markets have probably, um, while we don't have definitive numbers, declined due to access. A lot of organic goes out on passenger flights. Uh, and so operators um, have told us, while they haven't been able to access export markets, they've actually been able to sell the product in the domestic market. So they haven't lost sales. They've just read it, you know, it's been diversified to different places. Organic has grown um, in uh, the grocery lines, according to Nielsen data, a bit of 11%. Um, mm-hmm. So that certainly demonstrates um, uh, growth. Uh, holistically, it's around 6 or 7% uh, mm-hmm. as an industry. Uh, but we lag behind the rest of the world. Uh, if you look at the UK and the United States, they grew the same period, I'm quoting, a bit over 12% each. Mm-hmm. Um, so And a lot of that is because we have a lot of inconsistency in this marketplace. So Australia is the last developed country to undertake any approach to changing that consistency. We have some work on the way. Uh, New Zealand's the second last. But we have a mandatory requirement for export that anything that's claiming organic be certified organic to the government standard. But if you and I were going down to the local marketplace and we picked up a product that was claiming organic, you could not verify it was certified unless it had a certified organic logo attached to the product. Mm -hmm. So this is the difference that we're trying to resolve at the moment with the Australian government with February next year will be three years since we began that process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're very hopeful uh, and it's looking reasonably positive that we will move through to the next stage of discussing it publicly around how um, you know, the, we can reach this consistency because it doesn't make sense and it actually stops a lot of international market access negotiations because countries like the United States, China, South Korea refuse to enter into equivalency relationships with us around organic because we do not have the consistency in the domestic market. So just to be clear, um, so you're saying that you could put organic on something, but it, it's not certified organic. There's a big difference Absolutely. The one's been through the whole audit process, ticked every box where another thing might just be there for advertising reasons or... Yeah, that's exactly it. So, you know, there are brands in Australia that use organic in their brand name where they're not organic at all. They may have organic ingredients in it of a small percentage, but it's actually not organic at all. Legally, uh, at this point in time, uh, the ACCC can't do anything about it because there's not a mandatory requirement to be certified. So we did get a... um, a win through ACCC back in 2018. Uh, there was a baby brand um, that was using organic um, misleadingly on their packaging. Uh, that particular brand was required to change their packaging and was given a, a small but reasonably sized uh, fine. <laughs> but mm. the change to the packaging wasn't substantial. So, um, but it it's how it legally had to be made. So for us, it's a real complex space, which is why, again, we've been working on this for nearly three years Mm. uh, and we were very, uh, very happy when Minister David Littleproud took up the discussion with us uh, March last year Mm. to help us along this pathway. So we're making progress, but there's obviously a lot else going on in the world at the moment uh, that uh, slows a bit of that progress down, but we're very um, encouraged by the support through our government uh, across all different uh, political uh, persuasions that this is the right path for products who, that claim organic to be certified. So they're the kind of things that um, a body like Australian Organic does. You almost become a, lob- a lobby group to government to ensure that these kind of 
certified organic, you know, which has beneficial trade if you said that, you know, certain countries won't take our products because we're not really certified organic. Um, well, they will take our products, but we have to be certified to their organic standard as well. Yes, so yes. that's the challenge is uh, operators who want to grow their market opportunity mm. um, generally aren't only selling to one international country. So for every international country you want to sell to, you may have to get another certification. So mm. you're getting layered and layered and layered um, economic burden on mm. businesses that want to grow the opportunity mm. both here in Australia and overseas. Mm. So that's that's one of our big um, cases for this is un untie our hands. Mm. Um, let's step up to the global expectation, which is domestic um, organic means certified organic it's nothing more than is just what is globally accepted mm, mm, no with you in terms of we just mentioned the word leadership then talk about um not talk about i should say tell me about um your view of what leadership is do you think women lead differently or do you think leadership that has certain attributes or whatever to it that anybody can make a good leader what's what's your experience and what do you think indeed makes a good leader? Well, look, I think there's a difference between manager and leader. Um, mm -hmm. You know, manager is very task-driven. At least I think in my view, leadership is people-driven. Um, and, you know, for leadership, you, uh, you're working within the team to encourage a culture that provides outcomes, whereas management is really about tasks and delivering and ticking a box, in my view. Mm -hmm. uh, leadership, uh, I think more people, more more people, some people are more suited to leadership than others mm -hmm. um, when, because I think that's just a personality thing. If you're a more task-driven person, you may not have um, that more people focus. You know, there's different personality types that are drawn to task versus people. Uh, I think uh, leadership is bound by the culture um, that you provide in the business. Uh, and uh, for me, that's the most important thing. You know, I... Uh, in my last three leadership roles have personally hired people. I don't, I don't tend to use a recruitment company and there's nothing wrong with recruitment, recruitment companies. But for me, when I'm building a team, I want to have a hands-on approach to recruitment and see what that person's uh, behaviours and, and personality is like before adding them into the team dynamic because that's such an important part of creating positive work culture is that mm. you've got the right personalities together. Mm. So leadership is something that uh, I think comes with um, experience. I, I think I'm a, a better leader today than I was five years ago. Uh, I, I absolutely think I'm a better leader since I became a mother. Mm. Uh, as I was saying earlier, I uh, not that I probably was ever you know horrible to women with children but I certainly have a completely different level of respect or understanding mm. absolutely of the balancing act that you mm. have when you're managing whether it be you know elderly parents or children when you have a number of dependents and you're trying to manage a professional output output to your own level of um, success mm. it can be challenging and mm. so I think being able to nurture um, that positive culture within your team around flexibility that I was talking about earlier, especially with you know women uh, coming back to work after having children or being older and looking after elderly parents, it's important. Like I, I have a team 
that is predominantly full of women and that's not because I go out specifically looking for women it's just they've been the best people for the role and yes. you know we work around the challenges that each of us have with our mm. you know personal sort of situations and you know mm. I, I have to say I'm you know they're extremely high performing um, and you know the output that comes from our organization is you know extremely positive and good and we just work around how how we make that work amongst ourselves mm. Um, within the realms of what the organisation, you know, needs from a KPI perspective as well. Mm. Well, what you said about, you know, understanding women with children, I, um, I have two sons and I minded, we minded our little four year, uh, two-year-old granddaughter on Saturday night and she decided to wake and be very frisky at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, if I had to go to the office you know, it was Sunday. So, you know, I had some time to recover after they left. But if I had to go to the office on Monday, you know, it wouldn't have been easy because I'd been awake since four o'clock, you know, that by one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, my body clock isn't feeling good. It, it, but having gone through that experience, I could relate if someone said, look, I, I just even need to go and sit in a park and just chill out, you know, I just got to get some time. And so, you know, that kind of thing, I'm, I'm totally in the same camp as you, but Nikki, before you mentioned, you know, you're now 40 and when you were 20, you know, your health wasn't great, but, you know, I complimented you and said, well, you look great. So, you know, I would presume that your health is great now, which is good. If you went back in time, you know, I just said to you that we learn a lot from experience. If you went back in time and talked to that young 21 year old Nikki, and, you know, you wanted to be her mentor and, give her a couple of tips on life. You know, what do you think you'd say to her? Slow down. Yep. Um, I'd probably um, uh, coach her on, um, it's, I guess it's terrible. I think you, you, the word ambitious can be used in a, in, a, in a very negative way, I think, when it comes to being a female. But I, I've been thirsty and curious and ambitious all my life it's, and, and often without regard for my own physical self. And so I've learned the hard way uh, and, and I learned again at 30. I, I've successfully navigated my, my decade at 40 without the challenges, but um, certainly as a 20 year old, the value of self, I, I probably didn't have a lot of that when I was um, growing up. For me, that was probably live fast, die young sort of attitude without the die young, if I know what I mean, mm. like that invincibility, um, which, I think it was just not harnessed um, maybe in, in the right way. Uh, but again, that was my, that was my pathway for learning though. I, I'm a, I learn by mistakes um, and I learn by experiencing. So for me, I think I had to go through that to get to where I am now. And so I probably wouldn't coach her too much. I'd probably get her to be a little bit kinder to her body. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at, at 30, around 30, I mean, I had a similar thing. I was working for a large um, alcohol company and I um, that culture is very rich in drinking every weekend or going out to activities and I was working probably 12 hours a day Monday to Friday and often on a Saturday and and again I, I, I did myself a disservice with health um, so for me um, it's really important um, now that I manage my work-life balance and so again learnt through um, you know the challenges you have uh, so yeah, I, I would certainly, I guess that's where for me, if you talk to any of the teams I've had in the last decade, 
uh, work-life balance is at the core of everything we talk about uh, as, a, as a business and as a leader. For me, that would be probably what any of my um, previous team members would say about me is that Nikki was really big on work-life balance and mm. that's because I learned it the hard way. Yeah. Uh, and I'd rather have a high-performing team, um, you know, of, of people who are conscious about what they're doing to their own personal health. Mm. Well, Nikki, it sounds like you're, you've got a good work-life balance. And as I said, if you're, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about the way a person looks. I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, the makeup or anything like that, but, you know, the glow and the hair and all of that. So it looks like it's getting into a nice balance or it is in a nice balance. Mm -hmm. It's been great talking to you. Um, if you ever have any um, anything happening of you know major significance that you might like to tell us about in the organic space or the mentoring role, we'd always love to talk to you again on Tilly Money because the idea behind Tilly Money is about educating women, you know, to be better, um, to be wealthier, you know, to be smarter, and also to have work-life balance. So, so well, I, uh, you might I'd like to come it. back at another time. Yeah, well, hopefully within the next 12 months, we'll have some pretty exciting news about the organic um, regulatory process. And um, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk. It's certainly something I'm passionate about and I, I thrive on, on helping others. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be honoured to come back. Thank you. That sounds great. And you've certainly given me a tip about looking for that certified organic sign. Is that <laughs> where you almost get it like in a barcode? It's, uh, you can get it in a, um, a bar. So if you look for a certification mark, there's a, yeah. a logo like this out there. That's our yeah. logo. We own that. It's the most recognised mm -hmm. logo. So that in says, Australia. because we don't have the visuals here, that says the words Australian organic. It'll say Australian certified organic, organic. and it will have a bud, like a, um, a, a bud. Um, right, right. I'm with you. Yeah. And if you look for that, um, it's on about 90% of all packaged good in the, in the two majors shopping centres okay. so you'd be able to see it pretty quickly Coles Organic has it all over there and Woolworth has it on the majority of theirs mm -hmm. otherwise it's on you know over 32,000 um, products in Australia that product that logo is on so if you look for the bud uh, mm. you're always certain it's gone through a rigorous audit process. Mm, good well I'll look for it it's funny you know you've pointed it out but you often do these things as rituals and you don't see the obvious but I bet anything I see it next time I go shopping. <laughs> and yeah, um, great talking to you. It's been very informative. And as I said, I look forward to talking to you again. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.